0: to the book of first timothy chapter 2 first Tim- timothy chapter 2 we're going to read the entirety of this chapter all 15 verses we're reading out of the new king james version as is my custom a corollary passage to our study today in first corinthians god's word says therefore i exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority They may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith, And truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, you will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. This morning I want to finish what was extensively handled last week, but we want to finish up. I didn't touch on a couple areas, and some of them I wasn't satisfied with, um, not to the degree that I want to start all over, um, but rather that uh, we want to press it to a place where we understand that either we accept this as truth, or we can disregard most of God's Word. And that we get a more thorough understanding what it means to walk as a Christian, to live a lifestyle that is fundamentally different than the world's. Because we have fundamentally different ideas, because we are driven not by subjective truth, which is what you get to decide, but we are driven by objective truth, which God has already decided. And I just want to share that it is that truth that we will be judged by and not what you believe to be true. And it is that foundation that we come to God's Word and we look into it and we are startled because we discover every time we spend time in God's Word, we are startled by how much We are not in conformity to it as individuals and as a body of saints. And this is one area that the modern church, and I want to make that very clear, the modern American church is isolated almost in respect to how much it disregards this chapter. To the point that when brethren come to us from other nations, Pastor Reddy, we have had here in our service That they are themselves broken and grieved and ask the question, why don't we obey this? And they have every right to be. So we want to touch on this yet again. And it is not that everything in their cultures are godly and biblical either. Okay, And that is not ever what I want to Communicate that somehow there is any culture of man that can simply be picked up and put into the culture of God. All cultures, all of us, when we come to Christ, must look carefully, maturely, and deeply into the culture that we have been born into and judge it. And that's what Paul asked the Corinthians. Judge for yourselves some things. Look at your culture. And judge for, some th- some, for yourselves what is godly and not godly. And we have been misinformed if we think that because that we, our nation has been born out of a Christian movement, that all of our cultural baggage is Christian. It certainly is not, and so we're going to go beyond the early parts of this that talk about head coverings for men and women. It's not just a woman's issue here, is it? Um, and we're going to go into some of the other aspects of culture that Paul talks about it being uh, about the nature that natu- the, the God's creation itself tells us some things, and by looking into this, we want to project it into the entirety of our life, not just the issue of our hair and head, but rather the entire perspective of a true, mature knowledge of God's truth that will be exercised not to puff ourselves up, not to press our liberty to its extremes, but rather condescend ourselves, as Christ did, to surrender liberty for the sake of others. And that, my friends, is Christ-likeness that we are called to. As we get into our study, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us. And we thank you for its truth. Not an easy thing to say because it demands something of us. And we know that really the way to say thank you for it is to obey it. That if we thank you for it and don't obey it, we're liars. And Lord, that is not the condition we want to be in as a church. And we need your help in this respect, not only to understand your word, but to accept it and its authority. Lord, that we might be able to have the discernment to recognize and distinguish that which You speak in Your Word through Your servants, by Your Spirit, in our hearts and minds, and that which we bring in from our own experiences, our own training by this world. Lord, this is indeed a very difficult, near impossible venture for us today without your help. So we pray earnestly that your Spirit may lay hold of us today to your glory. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't think I've had as much conversation after one message as I have had over last week's message with those that were here last Sunday. And that's good. I enjoy that and uh, hopefully that it furthers it, but it also tells me that it's something that we need to maybe spend a little more time on um, because of the nature of it. And we want to really get down to the nature of the, uh, rather than just the issue, I like to get down to the principles And I think you know that about me. I don't preach issues. Um, I don't think we have to preach against abortion when we understand the principle that God is the author of life and that we set that apart. That we understand the principle that God has put out there of be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That we understand the principle that children are an inheritance from the Lord. But that we also must understand the principle of... Conducting ourselves honorably in terms of our sexuality. And uh, so when we get to the principle, the roots, how it's borne out can touch many issues at one time. And so it doesn't just touch abortion, those principles. It touches euthanasia. It touches um, those uh, little documents that your doctor really encourages to fill out, which is about uh, your end care, end, end of life care documents, your living wills, it touches many things. Suicide and murder, war, that principle of life touches many, many issues. And I'd rather you grasp hold of, with all of your heart, the principles of Scripture, and they will bear fruit if you really lay hold of them in all these areas of life. And so with this principle that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, if we really get a hold of the principle behind this, that yes, I have the liberty to wear what I want to wear, to present myself to the public the way I want. Um, I have that liberty in Christ, but that's an immature understanding of that liberty. That at the root of this principle is that a mature knowledge of that, a genuine knowledge of Christian liberty, recognizes that that is confined, self-confined, by our love for others. And that love for others means I am concerned about their edification, building up others. What am I communicating to them? And am I drawing them to high ground? Morally? Biblically, spiritually, am I drawing them to high ground? You might say, well, I I hold the truth and I believe the Bible and so I'm drawing them. Um, And we think somehow we can divorce our physical self and our physical presentation of ourself from these spiritual realities that we think we're going to draw people to. And this has been a mentality that I have seen extensively in the last 40 years, develop this idea in Christianity that we can divorce those, and that we can somehow hold to this high truth, and yet we can go out here and look like, act like, sound like the world, and be immune from any accusation against us with regard to our testimony. And so we really want to look today, um, we looked last week extensively about Our worship. When we come to worship, what should it look like? And it should begin with our men. And we talked about that, that our worship needs to recognize that our men have a direct responsibility before God to be accountable for how we do worship in this room and in our homes and in our society, in our workplaces And yes, even in our schools. You might say, we worship there? Yes, you do. Worship is not one hour a Sunday or a couple hours a Sunday. It is the Christian life is in its entirety an act of worship. And gentlemen, you have responsibility, a primary accountability to God to direct that in a biblical fashion. And one of the means we do that is that as we engage in that worship um, in two areas, specifically here in God's Word, in prayer, in the communication of His Word, that we do so with our heads uncovered. That we do that as a statement. I stand here as a responsible party with God as my accountability one i'm accountable to him and i stand here with nothing there staying between us no authority there no other mediator and we read that in timothy there's only one mediator between god and man and that is jesus christ and we recognize that authority and so paul there in timothy says i direct that men lift up holy hands that we stand before god and as men before God, we are engaged in this kind of activity of prayer, of leading our home, of leading our churches, and of leading our society in its worship. And I want to direct your attention back to 1 Timothy. Just to remind you, and particularly for those of you who came here late and didn't hear us read that, I want to read that for you. First Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, give me thanks be made for all men. Well, how? By the way, we need to be doing a lot more of this for our current government, rather than what I hear and see a lot of people doing with regard to our current government. All who are in authority, we ought to be giving thanks for them, praying and supplicating for them. How is this supposed to go on? Verse 8, jump down there. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without doubt or without wrath and doubting, and so it becomes first upon us that we lead in this worship uh, in this fashion, that we are here and we stand before God with this demand upon us that we have holy hands, that we have that demonstrated that we recognize we have responsibility to lead our home, our church, our society in righteousness and in truth. And that we are accountable to God for that. And He will, He will hold you to that. Just as much as He held Adam responsible for that sin that we might want to put the blame on Eve because she was deceived. But the Bible makes it very clear in Timothy that we read earlier that Adam wasn't deceived at all. He participated with his understanding. He wasn't fooled. He knew what was coming and what their consequences were. And so, men, um, God isn't going to tolerate this excuse. I didn't know. And it becomes a shameful thing that the men of our society are ignorant of God's Word. When God says, you're primarily responsible for its exercise in society. Be holy. And in our worship, and our praying and prophesying, we do so with our head uncovered, recognizing we have a responsibility. We are the responsible ones in this society for seeing that it is done in a holy manner before a holy, holy, holy God. We then looked at the ladies' role there and their responsibility again to make a statement, just as taking off our hat doesn't make us holy and doesn't, doesn't say we're, make us responsible, it's simply acknowledging. It's an act of the physical act. It's a physical act whereby we are making a spiritual acknowledgement that I'm responsible for God. Making that act doesn't say that that's in your heart. But if it is in your heart, you will do the act. Take the hat off. Because in your heart, you know you're responsible for God. Similarly now, we come to the the ladies and we say, okay, what is this symbolic act of covering our head? It is a statement to God, a statement to ourselves, a statement to angels, a statement to other ladies, a statement to other people in society, including our men, that you recognize something fundamental about God's design. You recognize that between you and the authority of Christ is the authority of men. And I didn't create that. Frankly, there's some days I don't like that. You know why I don't like that? Because I'm responsible (laughs) for someone else. I'm not only responsible for myself, but I'm responsible for others. That's a really hard thing to be, is responsible for others. Because it's hard to control them. It, I mean, look at how hard it is to control ourselves. So I don't necessarily like this. And any thinking man, I don't think, would have designed this. and uh, But God's, design is there and it is perfect and it is beneficial is not uh, chains and is not prison and but this is what the world wants us to think they want to call god's goodness evil and they want to do that in every category ladies don't believe the lie don't let them convince you that goodness of god is evil Here he is given this opportunity for you to make a declaration that you recognize God's creative work, that you recognize the authority that he has established, not only of his own, but that that he has given to man and then to woman, and that you submit to those authorities in your worship. And remember, particularly in our prayer and in the communication of his word, But obviously, it is an opportunity we have to communicate that far and wide. And I want you to, to just share with you, ladies, that you have a greater opportunity in our society to be a witness for Christ than men because of this. Because our society has largely believed the lie that what God says is good is really evil, you have an opportunity by living this out in front of people to draw people's attention to, you, to its truth. You have an opportunity to channel that question. Why do you do this? Why do you... I mean, you don't wear a burqa. You're not a Muslim. Why do you cover your head and recognize... And, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity to, to direct their attention. When they ask that question... You have an answer. And it's a very, very, very powerful answer. It's a statement that says, Because I believe what God says is good. And that being under authority is not prison, but liberty and freedom. And that I believe God and I'm going to follow Him. And it should be no surprise that our world is going to hate that idea. It is no surprise that our world will counter that or try to convince the Christian community that what He says is good is evil. And those that want to take this from a cultural perspective, again, like I said last week, have to deal with the fact that we're dealing with Corinth. Remember? We're dealing with Corinth. That does not mean much to you, but in terms of culture, it means a lot. This is a place that was a cultural hodgepodge. There was people from all over the known world would all be found in Corinth. You would have found Orientals there. You would have found Africans there. You would have found people from Upper Europe, Lower Europe. You would have found from the Middle East. They would have all been hanging around Corinth. Why? Because it was a very, very critical port, double port. It was the place you went to to get stuff from the northeast to the south, no, from the northwest to the southeast from the southeast to the northwest. You went through Corinth. It was known as this this cultural metropolis with, with all this plurality there. It was one of the key places in all of the Roman Empire where all of these cultures came in and just melded together. And what we have as a result is not utopia, but syntopia. You have a perfect plan for sin. Because now you have all these cultures bringing everything to the table and pretty much everything's allowed now except for holiness. And so Paul here isn't implementing something that's a single into a single culture, but rather a very pluralistic culture of Corinth. And he's saying, listen, here's the standard and you have an opportunity to make a testimony, a statement. Now, we want to take worship a step further today. Because Paul does so. God does so. And he goes down into talking about nature itself. And he asks us to be discerning. Verse 13 is where I want to begin. Maybe I better start in verse 11 because that's the principle. The principle that Paul drives off of is not, well, this is the way I think it ought to be done. Um, But rather, here it is. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? We should be able to figure that out. If you have the Spirit of God and you have a knowledge of His truth, front to back, and you have a mature a spiritual position, you should be able to make that call. And if you're having problems, figuring out where to go to find out. He picks up verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. So we come into the natural order, and here we have. I told Pastor Lisa this morning. I said I'm going to walk a little bit of a tightrope today, uh, because uh, I want to be really clear, and that means I'm going to have to uh, make sure you know what I want, what I believe this passage is teaching, but also what it's not teaching. Uh, we are not saying that there is a duality in the church; that there are uh, men are up here spiritually, women are down here spiritually. Remember, we start off with the men. We had some instruction for them too. This isn't an anti-woman passage nor is any in Scripture, frankly. We recognize a oneness in Christ, which means we have equal opportunity to glorify God, but equal does not mean the same. That is, we have equal opportunity... Um, but it may be from a different perspective. And so we can equally enjoy something, but yet be very different. So I can be at a uh, baseball game, and you can ask me, did you enjoy it? And I'll say yes. And my wife would be at the same baseball game, ask her if she enjoyed it, and she would say yes. Does that mean we enjoyed it the same way? No, she would have loved the baseball. You expected me to say the other way around, didn't you? She would have loved the baseball. I might have enjoyed something else entirely because she's a baseball fan. I mean, she studies the game and all that. Um, to me, I would enjoy some other aspects of it. I can, sometimes the baseball is an annoyance, and sometimes the crowds the annoyance. I don't know, but I'm weird that way. Um, we can still enjoy it, but it's different. So we have equal opportunity to glorify God before Him. We have an equal salvation, um, but that doesn't mean they're not different. And we come into this, here we have this nature. Now you might say, "Is nature our best teacher?" Not really, but it is a teacher. And Romans chapter one communicates that that we can learn a lot about God and His attributes simply by the created order around us. Well, not only can we learn a lot about God and His attributes, we can learn a lot about what it means to please God in our lives by looking at nature itself. And he says, look at the nature of things. Look at how God has made men, what they are designed for, and what they are called upon to do. And you understand that um, to accomplish that really well is going to keep them from having things that would prohibit them or limit them from doing that. Uh, you might wonder, well, why do men wear what they wear? Why do they have what they... Why, why do they have? Why should they have short hair? Why should they... Uh, have liberty for their limbs to move around a little more uh, because of what God demands of them. The work that we are demanded of, the the necessities that it calls upon us, physically demanding necessities for our work. And we have gone a long way from that in our society because we think it's hard work to sit at a desk in an air-conditioned office, and we call that work. That is not work. I didn't say it wasn't stressful. I didn't say that it wasn't... Uh, but if it, there's no sweat involved, it's not work yet, okay? And if you're sweating because somebody's looking over your shoulder, that's something different entirely too. But God calls us to a different level. And so when you look at warfare, you look at, at dangerous activity, you look and you anticipate that the men are going to gird themselves up for that activity, and that's what the Bible talks about when it says gird yourself up. That you have this, this ability to gird up so you can be ready to be active, to be engaging. And God calls us to that. And anything that's going to slow us down, that is going to uh, prevent our best performance, we're going to remove that. And that's why when you see athletes out there, generally, who are doing true, pure sports, they are getting rid of all that weight and you won't see very many of them running with long hair even, um, especially the swimmers. Go find some of them. Uh, swimmers and runners, you know, that's what I'm talking When I talk about pure sport, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about games that we play where we get together as a gang and we attack that gang. Um, that's just mini war. Those are war games. I'm talking about pure sport, you know, running, lifting, jumping, swimming, things like that. What do they want to do? They want to get rid of every weight. God has designed them. So he says, look at nature. He says, long hair, what's it going to do for a guy? You know, is a man really designed to get up and spend an hour in front of the mirror fixing his hair? Is it really going to assist him in performing those acts of hard labor or of warfare? No. We recognize that that it's going to be a hindrance to him accomplishing his purpose. And so Paul says, look at nature and you recognize that it dishonors. It's not an honor to him to have lots of hair. And you might say, oh, wait a minute. What about Samson? What about Absalom? What about some of these Old Testament guys? And that's exactly my point. What about them? The fact that you identify them as exceptions to the rule means that you identify the rule. The rule is that... Long hair normally, under normal conditions, is not manly. For Samson, it was a very specific statement that he was making that he was taking the Nazarite vow and therefore no uh, blade was to touch his head. For Absalom, he did get a haircut once a year. It's just he had an incredible head grew hair like crazy. Um, But he did have a haircut every year. Read it. Once a year, he got that thing whopped off and also kind of got him in trouble. And by the way, if you want to take those two examples, I want you to consider their end. Okay? Not very honorable for either one of them. So when we come to this and we hear a statement like this, guys, that it's dishonorable for me to have long hair, Um, God's getting kind of personal here. Yeah, he is. Because you have a purpose of filling society that is far beyond um, who decides what's culturally normative in terms of long hair. Now, I was born in the 60s, and I remember distinctly the hippie movement. It was still around in the early 70s. I remember the drug culture and all of that. And we were going to grow long hair and have beards. And it was point blank, a purposeful sign of we're rebels. Surprise. And I would contend that even to this day, we have tried to take our hair to communicate our rebellion, and we still do it today. It's just that it has to get more and more ridiculously radical um, because our society has gotten kind of immune to just long hair. So now we've got to make it orange and poke straight up. Or we have to uh, shave it all off and, and put swastikas on our scalp. And, and whatever extreme you want to go to, fundamentally, we are trying to make a statement. And gentlemen, um, it's time for Christians to make a statement. And that statement is, is that by maintaining a clean-cut Appearance, I am communicating something, and that is, I'm not rebellious in the nature of my society. Why in the world do you wear pants that show your underwear? Because of rebellion. Fundamentally, what we are trying to communicate to the generation around us, and specifically to the authority generation that is our parents we are trying to find every generation is trying to do this is anything new today this doesn't this is about fashion and mode that goes all the way back into egypt um we try to and So the, the generation the generational gap has been there all along it's not really a gap it's a chasm um and so it's there and so what are we trying to say i want my parents i'm going to find out what bugs them and that's what i'm going to live And fundamentally, that's what rebellion is. And they're modest, I'm going to be immodest. If they have short hair, I'm going to have long hair. If they're clean shaven, I'm going to have a beard. If they're this, I'm going to have this. If they have natural color, I'm going to have unnatural color. Right? Right? And the problem now, (laughs) for many of our generation, is that What they don't what they have to get more and more and more ridiculous because their parents did so many ridiculous things in rebellion to their parents. The hippies now have teenagers in their twenties. And they have to foster that rebellion because that's who they were. They can't condemn it. Oh, you don't ever condemn dress. I mean, that's their personal thing. Doesn't Paul just here say, you know, just looking at things from natural order. And so I love to just take um, these kids in their revised state. And it could be from the 60s and the hippies back then. Um, it can be today with the baggy pants. And I love to put them out to war. Let's play a war game. And we'll use a Frisbee instead of bullets. And let's go out there and play. And here's what they're doing. They can't run three steps without their britches falling down. And they're pulling them up. and They are They can't play the game because they've got to hold their pants up. It was no different back then. You know how easy it was to take down a hippie? You just grab them by the hair and yank them down. The police learned that really fast. Just grab them by that ponytail. Wham! And they're down the floor. It was easy. It prohibited them from doing what men are called upon by God to do. Provide and protect. And so nature, what has God designed men to do? What inhibits that? And fundamentally, every whether it's in our dress and appearance, uh, simple statements of rebellion, it's fascinating how all of them have moved us away from being able to fulfill our God-given role in society of protectors, providers. And that's where rebellion takes us, is away from our God-given role. When we look at the principle and we say, oh, well, we're going to do God's work and my outward appearance doesn't matter. um, You're a liar. You're lying to yourself. Your appearance matters to every single person, including yourself. Because by your appearance, you're trying to communicate who you are. You're trying to communicate whether you're trying to be cool. You're trying to communicate whether you care whether everyone, what everyone else thinks. You're trying to communicate what group you want to associate yourself with in society. You're trying to communicate all the time. You are getting up in the morning, and by the preparation of your face and hair, and your selection of clothing, you are ready to make a statement that day. And the idea that it doesn't matter is a big, fat lie. It does matter. You are making a statement. And so I want to make a statement and if I walk into places dressed as I am today, by the way, um, yes, this is my first Sunday in a suit. It's not because I'm preaching this message. It's because it's the first Sunday after Labor Day. and You guys know that, right? Memorial Day, Labor Day, I'm in a tie. Um, no suit coats because it's hot here. Um, Labor Day to Memorial Day, you'll see me in a suit. Why? Because I'm here to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not because I'm in the pulpit. Because I'm here I'm um, not trying to be uncomfortable. I'm here because I recognize that if you had a meeting today with the president, if you had a meeting today with your manager at work, if you had a job interview, many of you would look better than you do when you come to worship God with his people. And you're making a statement. And that statement is, my job is more important than my worship. My relationship with my boss, my teacher, my important person in my life is more important. My relationship with the people at the bar is more important. I want to make sure I have a good appearance before them or a bad appearance before them. I can't figure that one out entirely. Brother, why are we going to implement a dress code? No, we're not going to do that because we're not about the issue. We're about the principle. The principle is you are communicating information in your appearance you're communicating spiritual information about yourself and that's why Paul in Timothy and Peter as well and many other places talk about ladies and, uh, and I, we're going to pick on you a little bit now I've picked on the men and their and their ways um, let's talk to you ladies a little bit. Um, he goes through and talks about listen. Uh, there's two things that ought to clothe you. One is modesty and one is good works. Modesty and good works. That should be your twins that you're trying to clothe yourselves in. And uh, uh, Paul here in Corinthians talks about, listen, God's given you long hair and it's your glory. If it's given it to you for a natural covering. You have an additional opportunity to communicate something with a head covering. In addition to that, so that you have the natural order, and then you have your statement to yourself and to others and to angels, to God, saying that I recognize that I have this authority in my life in addition to Christ, and that is male authority. But you have an opportunity in your appearance to communicate much, again, to society, to other women, to men. And that is what is going on in your heart is shown in your appearance. Men and women will make that judgment call over and over again. We immediately say, that is such and such. You might say, well, that's wrong. They shouldn't judge you by your appearance. Well, you're fooling yourself because you're judging yourself by your own appearance as well. And you're judging others as well, also. And so God says, "I've given this as a as her glory, that her hairs are glory, and and uh, she ought to wear it out, and there ought to be that distinction." Me, I say, "Well, what's long hair and what's short hair?" And I want to encourage you gals that if you really want to find out what long hair and short hair is, read Song of Songs, because there um, it's very obvious um, what he considers long hair, and uh, he talks about it flowing down a mountain. And uh, that's how he describes her hair at least twice. And we look at Solomon and we say, okay, well, there's a good description of it. Uh, we, I think we all know the difference between long hair and short hair. Nowhere in God's word are you're going to find off the ears and off the collar, guys. You're not going to find that. But I think we recognize when hair becomes problematic for us to do our job. I was telling somebody last week, um, I laughed. I laughed. I rolled on the floor almost laughing um, when a football player got grabbed by his hair and pulled down because it was sticking out of the back of his helmet. And he got mad. Well, what a whoop, you know? What a little weenie. You grow it out. It's part of your body. You're playing tackle football because you don't have enough sensibility to wear your hair like a man. You deserve to get whooped down by your hair. And he's crying about it. Well, you can't do that to me. Well, will be a man. When we were at the Lobos' first bowl game over here in New Mexico Bowl, there was a player out there with hair outside the hang way down. And we convinced several young men around us that there was a girl playing out there with them. This little guy, he was like eight. And, uh, Dad, did you hear that? There's a girl out there on the Lobos team. Dad's like, no, it's just a guy with long hair. Well, we have an opportunity to communicate something in our appearance. And we have an opportunity to communicate not just by wearing Christian t shirts, but fundamentally, ladies, through. These two things that we're not going to focus in on pearls and jewels. We're not going to focus in on braiding the hair. We're not going to focus in on all of this stuff that the world does of painting ourselves and, and presenting ourselves in this gaudy fashion, but rather that we present ourselves modestly. That's not frumpily, by the way. It's modestly. There's a difference. I'm walking that line again. Okay? We have to recognize a difference that I present myself that I didn't spend three hours in front of the mirror this morning, but I at least did find the mirror this morning and look nice. We recognize the difference. We know that. We can see it very quickly at camp, scholarship camp. And uh, this is a Christian groups that are coming in. These are youth groups coming in. And these gals are, I got to tell you, they are... Um, I mean, they got OCD when it comes to their hair. I mean, they are obsessive-compulsive. They're up at 4 a.m. Because breakfast is at 7. Because their hair has to be just right. And when I look at them when they're all done getting working on it for two and a half hours to get it just right, I'm like, you wanted to wear it that way or did you wake up that way? I, I was confused. I was like, she's spending all that time? you know. I mean, is she just trying to purposely tangle it or what's going on there? But what are we communicating? My appearance is my God. That's what she's communicating. My appearance is all I am. And I tell the young man in my home and I tell the young men in our church that when you come across a gal whose appearance she has to work that hard at, um, that's about as ugly as it gets. When She has to work that hard to look that good. It's time to look for someone Doesn't need all that. So God says, Listen, your hair is your glory, gals. Your appearance, um, I tell, again, young people at camp that uh, the ladies, particularly, when I talk to the young ladies as a speaker, I have a message that I speak to them. And I tell them this that we're out here in nature. We got mountains, we got critters, we got trees, we got green, we got all this, we have stars at night. We have all this to look at. And you know what the boys in this camp are looking at? You. They're looking at you. Ladies, gals. And the question is, once you realize that, what is your responsibility? I have another message for the boys, but we have that simple message to understand that fundamentally... Men are driven by sight. And if we know that, how ought we to present ourselves? And Paul and Peter and many others, in the Old Testament as well, talk about modesty as being the evidence of godly character in a woman. And I know, I know the world says different. They want to glorify immodesty. That that's the kind of woman you really want. That tro- that's a trophy wife. And the world calls good evil and evil good. They make fun of modesty. As though it's for nerds and frumps and, and fools. And God says, oh no, modesty is your greatest statement of godliness, ladies including the covering of your, of your hair. That it is something God has given you to opportunity to, to uh, in terms of glory, not only before God, but uh, before your husband, before those males of society. We preserve that. And so we look at nature itself and we determine, I will not, in my appearance, present a rebellious heart. Because it is certain that when we look at the modes, the fashions of our world, we must understand them as fundamentally rebellious against God's truth. And to adhere to them and to take our cues from them is simply... To accept rebellion as a norm. And God calls us to something different. And so, does your physical presentation of yourself mean something? It means much. Not only to you, not only to others within our church, it means a lot to society. It does matter to them. And they are measuring you by such things as the length of your hair. Whether you are of their ilk or of God's. We used the example last week of a wedding band and what it seeks to communicate to the wearer to the spouse and to all that see it well it's not the only thing you wear that communicates information indeed all of how we present ourselves that's why the bible goes through and it says, listen, Israel, you're not going to wear this kind of clothing. You're not going to do this to your body. You're not going to have all these piercings. You're not going to have all these tattoos. Yes, they had those back then. Israel says, God says to Israel, don't be a part of that. That's the world's rebellion against my design for their body. They want to do to it these cuttings and they would scar themselves and call it beautiful. Um, Well, God makes it very clear that isn't beautiful. And isn't it interesting that these things of, of deforming our bodies and, and abusing them and calling it beautiful it persists this long. Why? Because rebellion persists in the heart and it has to express itself. And it always will express itself in this manner. Because men, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, generally want to show their rebellion some way or another. For it eats them up inside and it must represent itself. And so, yes, the mode in which you conduct yourself in the work of God matters. The fashion that we bring. To our worship matters. And we can lie to ourselves and say that it's not important, but the fact is, in God's plan, it is. And again, this kind of teaching is for a mature faith. A mature faith understands our Christian liberty but recognize it is confined by a love not for myself and my liberties, but a love for others. It says, what am I doing for them? What is your presentation of your body communicating to others? Is it encouraging them towards the gospel or encouraging them to ignore the gospel? Is it a testimony to the work of Christ in your life? Of holy, holy, holy? Or is the statement saying that, please accept me, I want to be one of you. Please like me. So I'm going to dress and look like you. Or I want Christ to be pleased to walk with me this day in what I present myself as. How I appear. Am I capable of fulfilling my function that God has placed upon me as a man as a woman in society and this God calls upon all of us to do and so I have a responsibility not to distract you from God's word in what I wear as you equally have a responsibility not to distract me from my responsibility today in what you wear. And I've had to do that as a pastor a time or two where there was one whole part of the congregation I couldn't preach to because of what one woman wore. If it's it's unsaved, if it's worldly people coming in, well, I expect that. But from those who call themselves Christian, who claim to have a knowledge of the truth, for shame. So we are called upon to present ourselves not against nature, but in agreement with creation. How has God created us is how we present ourselves. That there is a difference between men and women and it ought to be evident. And among all the commands of God upon Israel one of the things they did command is that the men shouldn't dress like women and the women shouldn't dress like men. It goes on and on, doesn't it? They say, but we don't live the law. That's right, you don't live the law. You have liberty. You have freedom in Christ. You live a different law, the law of love. And those rules had purpose. And when they had reference to society, you're communicating something about whether their God or the God is your God. That's what you're communicating. Yes, and you do that by the length of your hair, by the style of your clothing, by your appearance, by your countenance, as well as your works. Let's pray.